series that we've titled The Cultivated Life with the idea that faith takes work. Fake faith takes intention. Faith, like a garden, takes cultivation. And so we've been going through some of the basics and some of the fundamentals of what it means for us to have faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. I mean, we have, I think this is part 11-ish or 8-ish, I don't know. We've been going for a couple of months, and we have a few more, a few more teachings to go on this current series. But one of the things that I really want to spend time with this morning is talking about suffering, And one of the things that I've noticed in talking to people is oftentimes people feel that if you suffer, then God must not be a good God if he's allowing suffering to happen to us. And so it kind of goes like this. If God is good and evil exists in the world, then God must not be all-powerful, right? So this is kind of the, right? If God is good, but there is evil, then God must not be all-powerful. That's what some people would say. So they say, and if God is good, but he's not all-powerful, then I can't put my faith in this God. And so oftentimes what happens is people will look at a moment of suffering in their lives. It can be something small, it can be something self-inflicted, or it can be something tragic when evil is done to you, and it's just so horrendous and difficult and painful that sometimes people will look at suffering in your life and say, there must be no God if this is happening to me. And the reality is that suffering exists in this world, but suffering does not negate that God is both good and God is all-powerful. The reality is, is that there is evil that happens in this earth. In this age, there is evil. In the age that is to come, there will not be evil. But in this age, we will experience evil that is done to us, evil that happens around us. And you will, inevitably, if you haven't, suffer. And I remember when I first came to this church, I think I was having a conversation with, um, with Teresa. We, you know, she, she moved away. And I remember saying, like, you know, I, my life has been, for the most part, pretty easy, and I haven't suffered much. Like, that was true nine years ago. <laughs> and she goes, oh, be careful. Don't say that, because that's just going, you know, it, it's almost like it's going to jinx it. And over the, la- over the last nine years, there has been some level of suffering that I've experienced. And you realize that suffering, it's, if your faith is rooted in Christ, suffering will only reveal that faith and will draw you closer to God. But if your faith in Jesus is just like a selfish, I want to feel better type of faith, then when suffering inevitably comes in your life, you're going to walk away or, or not turn to Jesus because your faith was never rooted in who Jesus was to begin with. And so suffering happens in this world, but it does not negate the goodness and the power of God. Because the central story of our, I mean, first of all, if you look at all of Scripture, there's a lot of moments of suffering from, the, from Genesis 3, because not Genesis 1 and 2, but Genesis 3 through about Revelation 20. There are stories that are filled with suffering and circumstances that happen to people, oftentimes people that don't deserve the badness, and yet God is still present and with them. So much so that the central story of our faith is that an innocent man dies on a cross. So when we experience suffering in our lives, it's not that God doesn't exist, it's that we're just participating in the ongoing suffering of God's people because one day there will be no more suffering. 
So when you go through painful moments in your lives, when marriages end, when you lose your job, when people get sick, when you get sick, when loved ones get sick, when you have to face financial ruin, when all of these moments of suffering happen, it's not proof that God is not good. It is just a reminder that we live in a fallen world where there is evil, there is pain, there is suffering, and part of our hope is that even though we will experience that here, there will come a time when all of that will be done away with. Suffering then instead of it being the worst possible thing that can happen to us, if we reframe it and just look at it as a gift, as a gift by which we can be drawn closer to God in the most difficult moments of your life. Now let me tell you, when you're in the middle of something painful, it isn't always so easy for us to say, oh yeah, pastor, of course, I'm gonna be happy. No, like you're not gonna be happy oftentimes when you, when you face these moments of suffering. But what happens is that we are given this foundation, this fundamental understanding that although this is painful, it will pass. Because after every death, there is a resurrection. After every ending, there is a new beginning. And the story of our faith is that God calls us into this kind of life. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And the reason that this sermon is so important, especially when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to you and I learning to be followers of Christ, suffering is important because it is a normal part of the Christian experience. So if you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, their soul? What will they give in return for their life? I want to stop there for a second. If anyone wants to become my follower, my disciple, what we've been talking about for the last two months, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. One of the ways I've often heard people talk about bearing your cross, they'll say things like, oh, you know, what's the name of someone that doesn't exist here in this church? Like, um, Reggie. Is there a Reggie in here? Okay. Is there a Jane in here? Okay. So let me give this example. Oftentimes when people talk about taking up your cross, they'll say, oh, Reggie's wife, that's his cross to bear. Or, oh, Jane's husband, that's her cross to bear. And a lot of times we use this cross-to-bear motif almost as a, that's the annoying thing you have to deal with in your life. God bless their soul. And that's the wrong way to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to take up your cross literally means to deny yourself, deny the things that you believe are owed to you, deny the things that you believe you deserve in this earth because either you work hard or you've done this or you've done that. You know, to die to your desire to be right, die to your desire to have opinions about other people, die to your desire to judge and critique other people. It is quite literally deny yourself, pick up the cross because the path of the cross is the one where you must wholly and fully depend on Christ 
and for God to lead you forward. When Jesus was on the road to Calvary and as Jesus bore his cross, I mean, this was chapters before Jesus would be crucified. But already in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples not only that he was like, he wasn't predicting his death, he was just kind of preparing them so that when they saw Jesus bearing his cross, they would finally understand, ah, to bear my cross is to live all out following the path that God has created for you. And a lot of times the path that God creates for us isn't what you had planned when you were 20 years old. Oftentimes the path that God is leading you to isn't what you thought it would look like when you first started out. The path that God is leading you down isn't often what you thought life would be like. And sometimes it's filled with pain and suffering. But it's never done just so that we can be beat down, but so that we would always give glory and honor to God. The Bible writers would say that we boast in our sufferings. Because if we suffer, that gives you a glimpse into what Jesus would have suffered on the cross that day. Now, none of us have been crucified on a literal cross. But can you imagine the sheer pain? And I don't even know that for Jesus, the pain that he felt was the physical pain, although I'm sure that was. But it was probably even more the internal grief that he feels for this, that love and grief, knowing that there will be many who will not even understand what he was doing. Jesus' heart breaks for the sin of the world. And so Jesus lays down his life. So when you suffer, the Bible writers tell us that you're getting a glimpse into the suffering and the weight of what Jesus did. You just get a glimpse into the thing that changes everything. So Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and whoever loses their life will find it. And he's not talking about an actual death, but he's saying if you die to your desires, to your passions, if you die to your sinful desires, rather, I should say, if you die to your desire to always be right and to be opinions should be the right ones and die to your desire for power, if you die to all of those things, the life that you will get is life in the kingdom of heaven that begins here and now and will extend into all eternity. So to deny yourself is to say, like, I want this world to be about me, but instead I will live for God and whatever God is doing through me and for me, and I will give honor and glory to God. So to bear your cross, there will, will often be followed by suffering. But know that even in that suffering, you will be able to boast because you know that you are doing it in the name of Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 tells us this. Talking about suffering. We do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, so our bodies, our inner nature, our soul, is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction, whatever you're going through, when you suffer, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. 
You see, this is echoing in concepts, in concept and in context what Jesus was saying, that you must pick up your cross, bear your cross, and follow him. You see, you may not, and so when Paul says, we, we put our hope not in what is seen, but in what is unseen, what he's saying is, you may look like a loser in this life. You may look like you've given up in this life sometimes when you don't fight, when you don't have to give your opinion, when you're not constantly at odds with other people. It may look like you're weak, but to follow the path of Jesus is to follow the path of the cross. It's to put your hope in the things that are unseen, to put your hope in a God that we pray to, we sing to, but we can't really see his manifestation in front of us. And Paul says that whatever trial and tribulation Whatever difficulty you are going through now or will go through, it will pale in comparison to what Paul calls the eternal weight of glory. You know, how heavy is glory? Like what is, like it's, he uses the word weight kind of as this sense of God's glory has this heaviness that will extend for all eternity. It's like God's gravity, his glory, his goodness, his awesomeness and his awe of, and our awe of God will last for all eternity. And so when you suffer, you can remember this will pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. When you suffer, it is a reminder that we live in a fallen world, but God has a plan to redeem us, redeem this world, and create all things new. I want to go back to another passage in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in clay jars in our human bodies so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Now listen to what verse 8 begins to say. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we're always being given up to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Like if you're going through something in your life that just you feel like you don't, get to, you don't see that end of the tunnel, there's no light at the end of the tunnel because it feels so heavy, just remember that as Paul says, you may be afflicted, but remember that with the Spirit of God, you are not crushed. You may feel the persecution, but you are not forsaken. You may feel like you're struck down, but you are not destroyed. You always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may spring forth in all that you do. So the next time you suffer, it is a reminder, yes, I suffer now, but awaiting me, awaiting for me is the eternal weight of God's glory. What the Old Testament writers would call the Shekinah glory, the goodness, the presence of God, the very presence of God in your midst even when you are suffering. And then I have one final verse to look at in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. 
You know, it's important that I stress those moments of suffering as an opportunity for you to draw closer to God. Those moments of suffering, you, you have this gift of allowing your faith to grow. And I know, and I've heard this, and I can verify this in my own life, that it is the darkest moments, the hardest moments in life where faith is actually strengthened, not weakened. If your faith is rooted in Christ, the moments of suffering will draw you closer, not further away from God. So Romans chapter 5, verse 2. No, verse 3. I'm skipping a little because of time. But we also boast in our sufferings, Paul writes, knowing that suffering produces what word? What does it say? Endurance. And endurance produces, and character produces, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Suffering may be painful, but it produces in you endurance. Because when you've suffered once and you've gotten through it, then you know whatever comes next, you know that you can always rely on the Spirit of God to get you through the next thing. And so suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I mean, let's face it, friends. Like, we live in a world where hope is at a very diminished level we look around, we see all of the bad things that are going on, we look at all the bad and we say like, you know, because everything is so bad, like there is no hope. And that happens to us when we suffer. We, we allow our emotions to take over us and we sometimes will take our eyes off of Jesus when all we have to remember is that yes, this thing that, is going, that you're going through is hard, but you can do this hard thing because the Spirit of God is the one who gives you strength. So let me give you one little analogy before, I, not analogy, a story before I close. So as you all know, Kara and I were on vacation. We went back to visit Kara's family, and we flew back yesterday. First of all, every single flight we were on was the worst possible flight. Not because of turbulence, but like just trying to get to Atlanta or to Savannah, we were diverted. We had to go to Indianapolis for hours, which we were never supposed to go to Indianapolis, by the way. We were there for a couple of hours. Then then our transition was in Chicago O'Hare. We get to O'Hare, and everything is canceled going out of O'Hare. So we have a three-month-old, and I don't know, Kara's not in here. I don't, and we didn't have any clothes. We, like, everything was checked. They wouldn't give us our checked bags, and we had to find a hotel. We had to find a, a hotel that had a shuttle, which, by the way, not a lot of hotels have shuttles in Chicago. So I had to think on my feet, and so I, got a, I rented a car. I cut in front of everyone because I use my app. I don't know why people don't use apps, but I, I rented a car. We, we got United to give us a car seat. One of their, never do that, by the way, but they had like these cheap car seats. We put our baby in there, and then we drive 30 minutes out of town. I don't even know where we were. It was storming. It was raining. I think all we had was a, um, her diaper bag, and then it was like 12.15 a.m., and I had to run to Walmart to get diapers and wipes and like a toothbrush, whatever else we needed, right? Everything was checked on the plane. They wouldn't give us any of our stuff. So we get there, and it's just like, this is the worst possible day. Took another flight, and it was grounded. For, they delayed us for six hours. 
with a three-month-old baby, by the way. So we, we learned some tricks on how to get things. So then yesterday, it's our turn to come back home finally after being away for a, just under two weeks. We're excited to be home. And so we're just like, you know, we have one more flight. Everly had done amazing. She slept. Everything was perfect. Every flight, she was pretty good. Like, it was amazing God's, by God's grace. But yesterday, she decided to try to stay awake for the four-and-a-half-hour flight from Chicago, which was our connection from, from Knoxville. And then we're like, oh, she's doing good. She's sleeping. You know, we, we cross over New Mexico. We're, we're crossing into Arizona. And then the pilot says, um, so we just got word. We're flying to John Wayne. We just got word that um, John Wayne, the, uh, the power went out and the emergency generators aren't working. So uh, we're going to divert you guys to LAX. And, like, you know, everyone has that collective gasp, right? Got to be mad at someone. Let's be mad at United. Why not? You know, it's not their fault. Finally, we get to LAX, and my dad was going to come pick us up, and I was just like, I, you know, my solution to everything apparently is just rent a car and we'll drive home. And so that's what we did. But it was just this constant, like, ah, like, like when is this? And that's not real suffering, but it feels like suffering when you have a little baby and you're just worried that, you know, you get her home. But it's just like, like life circumstances are just going to beat us up sometimes. Like it just happens. That, that wasn't anything evil that happened to us. It was just hard. Now, multiply that exponentially by the things that you're all going through. And it's really easy for us to want to begin to question the character or the goodness or the power of God But it's a reminder that, like, yes, bad things are going to happen, and those are going to be opportunities for you to draw closer to the presence of God in your life. And so we count our sufferings as a blessing and a gift to say, yes, this is terrible, but how much closer will I be drawn to God? Now, I know there are some of you who are in this church this morning who have suffered excruciatingly painful moments in your life. I know that because I've spoken to you. And so it may sound like I'm just trying to give this positive pep talk about how suffering can be good. But I guarantee you and I promise you that this isn't me trying to put a positive spin on suffering. But it is my 13 years of ministry and just being and journeying with people who suffer and then looking at the scriptures and saying like, yes, it's hard and it's difficult and it's painful. But the eternal weight of glory is waiting for you. Yes, it feels like death, but the eternal weight of glory is waiting for you. Yes, your loved one died too early, but the eternal weight of glory is waiting for you. Yes, that diagnosis, it's unfair. Yes, you shouldn't have lost your job. Yes, that marriage shouldn't have ended. Yes, 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 but the eternal weight of glory is waiting for you. And you know what's so amazing about that is that you don't have to wait for eternity. The eternal weight of glory, the Bible tells us that it is Christ who makes his home in your heart. Did you know that the Bible says that? That Jesus makes his home in your heart. Think about that. Jesus, however God is God, (laughs) fills your heart and your soul with his presence. You can't understand it other than the fact that we say we are open to this mystery, Father, and we are thankful that you have chosen to pour your Son into our hearts and filled us with your Spirit. So when we suffer, yes, the eternal weight of glory unshrouds and surrounds you because God has made his home within you. 
And so one day we will experience the fullness of the eternal weight of glory, but it is present for you today. All you have to do is learn to be aware of the presence of God in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you spoil us with your blessing. You spoil us with your love. You spoil us with your grace. You spoil us with teaching us about faith. Father, we are spoiled children that sometimes act spoiled. So it is my prayer for myself and for my friends here that you would teach us to be aware of your presence in our lives, that we would know to recognize your spirit in our hearts, that you would give those who are suffering now, that you would give them strength and courage and perseverance so that whatever they're going through would simply add to the testimony of their life of faith so that they would be able to share how your mighty hand reached into their lives and help them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.